Today's episode of Two Man Advantage is brought to you by Remarkably Remote, a new daily microcast from the experts at GoToMeeting, all about making work from home work for you. With indispensable intel on how to stay sane, motivated, and productive at home, we're here to help you in this brave new remote working world. Find us on smart speakers or subscribe on your favorite podcasting app. You can also listen at gotomeeting.com slash tips. That's gotomeeting.com slash tips. Hey everybody, Scott Burnside back for another edition of Two Man Advantage, the podcast. And as always, my good pal Pierre Lebrun in Toronto. And joining us today, Wayne Gretzky. Now, Wayne, I, you know how busy Pierre and I are, so I'm glad we were able to fit you in to our busy <laughs> podcast schedule. But uh, anyway, it's yeah. great. It's great. Great to have you aboard. Thanks. And uh, and thanks for hanging out with us. Wait, let's, uh, yeah. start us off. <laughs> start, I think I, I'm probably in the same same position you guys are in. We're a whole lot of nothing going on, right? <laughs> my, uh, right. My, well, my my buddy told me the other day. He said, "Who would have ever thought saving the world meant 24 hours of watching TV?" <laughs> <laughs> I know. So. We had Steve Levy on last week on the podcast, and it had taken a long time for us to connect with him. And he was like, uh, "I can do this every day now." So uh, it, we haven't been <laughs> I feel, to that point. I yet. feel the same way. You know, it's it's about uh, trying to uh, amuse yourself and. Uh, no better way than talking hockey, right? It's the greatest sport That's in the world, right. and why not? Perfect. Yeah, and well, so Wayne, what uh, you know, what's what's the routine been like for you guys right now? Obviously, we're uh -huh. all isolating yeah. and uh, trying to exercise and uh, yeah. stay out of people's way, right? What's it been like for you? <laughs> yeah, it, it's hard. You know, I listen uh, for the whole world right now, and. Uh, I, I was saying the other day, I couldn't imagine being 10, 12, 13 years old because at that age, at this time of the year, hockey was winding down, couldn't wait to get started in baseball, couldn't wait to get started playing lacrosse and being with your friends and going to school and playing the sports we played at school. So it's really difficult, I'm sure, for the families right now, especially with kids. And we, we have a 17 and a 19 year old at home and they've been pretty good. Um, it's a tough scenario for everybody, but we've been really trying to live hard by the rules. Uh, we get up in the morning, my wife and I, and we try to work out. We're fortunate living in California, the weather's relatively nice at this time of the year, and we have bikes and we get out and ride around the neighborhood and try to ride for a good hour, hour and a half. And, you know, you just try to keep your mind stimulated. And then you come home and you read press clippings and you try to stay up on the news and what the president and the prime minister are informing us. Uh, we're no different than any other family. So it's a hard time right now. It's really tough. And some people have it tougher than others. And it's just a scary point to, of uh, where we are in life right now. So I, I'm curious, Wayne, you, 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 there must be some competitive juices that still flow in the, in the family. Are you guys, are you able to do sort of active stuff do you play ping pong or stuff like that or are you playing board games mm -hmm. or i'll tell you in our house we play three-handed euchre and the stakes are high every day it's unload <laughs> unload the dishwasher where are we getting takeout uh we ventured into sorry a little bit uh, and i can tell you i haven't won a single i haven't won a yeah. single game in days and days but are, are you guys doing stuff like that well um my wife and i do play cards pretty much every day uh you know, it's it's hard, you know, because, um, you know, it's it's not something that I thought I'd be doing at this time of my life. I thought I'd be getting ready for the first round of the playoffs and supporting <laughs> the Oilers. And I'm finding myself playing a lot of cars at 9 a.m. But that's OK. You know, what? we're we're fortunate, too. We, we play a little tennis. Uh, my daughter, obviously, is a tennis player. And so. Between my son and I and my wife and my daughter, we were able to get out and play some tennis. And, you know, you just try to do anything you can to be a little bit active. One of the things that the medical people say is to try to get some sort of sweat every day and do a little bit of a workout that it's good for your mind and it's good for your soul. Uh, it's one of the ways to combat this uh, to terrible uh, illness that we have out there. 
Um, so we're like every other family. You just try to get by day in, day out. And uh, I found now, I said to Paul Coffey and Rick Tockett yesterday, where would we be without Alexander Graham Bell? Because I know everybody is FaceTiming their friends and sending videos and uh, emailing, texting buddies. It's been a good time to be able to catch up to people that you haven't really talked to a whole lot in the last year, maybe a couple of years. So we're in the same situation as everybody else. And of course, Wayne uh, from Brantford, Ontario, and for our American listeners listening, a lot of our listeners are Canadian, Alexander Graham Bell, who invented the telephone yeah. from Brantford, Ontario. So <laughs> yeah. there you go. There's we're very there. proud of that. And, and this time of our lifetime right now, uh, we're sure glad he did. <laughs> yeah, you got that right. Well, listen, you mentioned the Oilers and... Of course, you're a governor. Uh, I see you. That's probably one of the few times I see you during the year. Sometimes now Wayne is at the Board of Governor meetings. And mm-hmm. uh, the Oilers coming on just as a pause happened too, uh, getting through all those injuries and sitting in second place in the Pacific Division. Uh, you know, Commissioner Bettman has said uh, repeatedly that uh, if if we're allowed to from the health authorities that we'll have hockey again. And um, could be this summer. But uh, if there yeah. is a season, uh, you know, what's your sense of what, the Oilers have been able to, you know, to, to become here this year. Well, first of all, um, let, let's talk about the season. Uh, I think that uh, to a man, everybody would say the same thing, that it was uh, on the outside looking in. It was a, a tremendously positive, surprising, strong year for the Oilers. Uh, wasn't a lot of people that probably picked the Oilers to be battling for first place in the division. and having the kind of season that they've had. Um, as you mentioned, in saying that, uh, Dave Tippett and Kenny have done, Kenny Holland have done just an outstanding job at stabilizing the franchise, not only in Edmonton, but with our youth in Bakersfield and the young kids that have been drafted over the last few years. There's a sense of a real strong direction to where the organization is heading, and they're going to be extremely patient uh, for now and for the future. Um, and as you said, this team has battled through a lot of key injuries and still maintain a solid pace. Uh, a lot of that has to go to obviously uh, Connor uh, McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl. They've been sort of driving this bus and been exceptional all season long. And when you have two players of that caliber uh, playing at a high level, obviously it gives you an opportunity game in and game out to be competitive. Now, I think that uh, the one underlying factor that has changed the team is pretty simple. Um, Our power play has become much more of a clutch power play, and our penalty killing has gone from being probably the worst the last two years in the National Hockey League to somewhat of a staple and a benchmark for our team. And the success we're having, we're killing penalties at the right time, killing penalties at key times, games, and that hadn't had in the, happened in the past. And so Coach Gullickson and Coach uh, Playfair deserve a lot of credit for the specialty teams. And then I've never seen – I've played with a lot of great goaltenders, uh, Andy Moog, uh, Grant Fuhrer, Curtis Joseph, Kelly Rudy, Mike Smith is the first goaltender I've seen really energize a hockey club from being in goal. Whether it's his feistiness on the ice, whether it's how he handles the puck and moves the puck, uh, how he battles every game. And with that, Koskinen has been outstanding too. So our two goaltenders really have been a benchmark of the team all season long. Now that's all the positives. Now the negative is, I'm not a big believer that you can miss eight weeks and everybody be back on top of their game. Some teams are going to come back stronger than others. Some players are going to be better than others. And we won't know this until and when and if we come back, which teams are going to be playing at the same level they played at. Now, some teams are going to be better. Some teams will probably be worse. And that's just an educated guess. I, I, I don't have any knowledge of that. But I know myself as a player, if you miss six, eight weeks, you're starting over again. But the good news is we're all starting over and nobody's having an advantage at this point in time. So I think it's imperative for the players 
I know it's hard. They can't go skate. They can't work out in groups, but they have to have the mindset. I gotta, I gotta work out hard and train, be physically and mentally ready because, as you said, the commissioner is very optimistic about coming back and very excited about playing hockey in the in the summertime. Uh, I, I, I don't really get into politics a whole lot. Uh, being a Canadian living in the United States, I can't even vote anyway, but I really got a sense that after the conference call the president had with all the commissioners, that there seemed to be a little bit of a turn. Now, I don't know what was said on the conference call, but we seem to be getting some positive messages, whether it's baseball, golf, hockey, football, that at some point in the next few months, we are going to go back. So that's, I think, a light at the end of the tunnel for all the fans and for all the athletes that maybe we are heading back to work in the next couple months, and that'll be a positive for everyone. Yeah. Wayne, you, you touched on Leon Dreisaitl and, of course, Connor McDavid, and, and I, I, it's 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 not a breakout here. I don't think that's fair to say after yeah. what Leon did a year ago, but certainly when Connor was injured and the way that Leon uh, really continued to assume such a, a leadership role uh, in, in terms of his productivity, all those kinds of things, you played on a team for a long time that had a pretty darn good one-two punch mm-hmm. uh, with uh, Wayne Gretzky and, and Mark Messier. When you see these two what what comes to mind for you? Why why does it work, or what is the element of those two and what they bring to the Edmonton Oilers that that maybe makes the, this team on the verge of something mm-hmm. special? Well, listen, I think you you've hit the nail on the head. They're both pretty special. Um, they're both really really good young men. Uh, I, I I say this all the time, and Pierre hears me say it. I'm really amazed at the maturity of these young players in the National Hockey League, whether it's Leon, Connor, Austin Matthews, Mitch Marner, it goes on and on. The, 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 the way they've been raised, uh, what they do for the game, for the teams, for their community is just, I'm, I'm really, it's really special. Uh, they're just good people. And I said this before, I played with arguably one of the greatest players ever played, Mark Messier. And somebody said to me one time, he said, wow, you're a better player than you were two years ago. And I I remember saying, you know, I practice every single day against the best centerman in the game. And I go head to head against him in every single drill. Um, And Glenn used to, Glenn Sather used to put my line against Messier's line in every drill. And so you couldn't help but become a better player because we didn't practice long in Edmonton when I played there, but we practiced every day and we practiced hard. And so you become a better player with the people that you're surrounded by. And make no mistake, you can be a total team player, be totally unselfish, but want to compete with everybody on your team and everybody in the league to become a better athlete. And I think that's what Connor and Leon, maybe subconsciously not knowing this, but they've become better players because they're competing every single day with each other and not really even realizing it. And that's benefiting the Oilers, obviously. And it's exciting for the game of hockey. So people go watch them play and go, wow, those guys were fun to watch tonight. And obviously those two guys are driving the, 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 the train in Edmonton. And they've done a wonderful job this year, there's no question. And uh, it's an exciting time for the fans of Edmonton. Well, I'll tell you what's been exciting for my kids, Wayne. Uh, my twins are eight now, and uh, my oldest is 11. All three play hockey. And there's been a lot of classic games on TV of late, replacing the the, the actual stuff. And it's the most they've ever seen number 99 play. <laughs> and, and for them, you know, born so many years after your career was over, mm-hmm. it, we had the 81 December 81 game on the other night where you went 15 39 and had the five goals against Philly and the expression on my kids faces every time he scored was unreal and I think that's you know I hope a lot of kids are are reconnecting that way because they they obviously know what Wayne Gretzky did If, if you're a hockey fan you know your your record books just like you did when you grew up Wayne and you but but I think that's been a neat thing right now with all the classic games and 
we were just talking about Messier, but you know the guy that, I, and I, I think I've told you this before, when I always felt the one guy that never got as much mention on those great Oiler teams, because to me in the playoffs, he was so clutch, was Glenn Anderson, who it took a long time, but finally got in the Hall of Fame. But it, he's 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 just such a, a clutch player and, you know, beat to his own drummer, obviously. But do you find that as, you know, over the years, people talk about, you know, obviously, Yuri Curry and Paul Coffey and Grant Fuhrer, and Mac T and all those guys, but Glenn Glenn often is a guy forgotten and all that. Yeah, you're so right. I can remember being in the locker room after the third period of playoff games, and to a man sitting there, we all kind of looked at each other and just had this sense or this feeling that Glenn Anderson was going to get the goal. <laughs> it was really, it was almost surreal. Uh, we had such belief in him. Uh, because nothing bothered Andy. And the bigger the game, the bigger the moment, the more important and the better he became. Now, <clears throat> it was exciting to be part of that because we, we relied on each and every guy to be a part of the success of the team. And it might only be one moment in the season. It might have been 10 moments a season. But each and every guy was so important to the hockey club. And that started with Lee Fogelin was our captain. He was the godfather of our group. He was the guy that we most looked up to. And he, he brought that feeling into the locker room and it just infiltrated each and every player. Now, I sit back sometimes and somebody asked me the other day about unheralded Oilers. And I said, I don't know where to begin. I said, Grant Fuhr to me was the greatest goalie that ever lived. But we won our first Stanley Cup with Andy Moog in net. And that's how good Andy Moog was. We talk about Kevin Lowe winning six Stanley Cups. And he was phenomenal and a true leader. Randy Gregg was invaluable to our team. He won five Stanley Cups. He was just a really good hockey player. You talked about Glenn Anderson and how, how good he was. I remember the day that Glenn Sather traded Kenny Linsman. It was the only time I ever went into Glenn's office as a player and said, why did you do that? Because Kenny was such a clutch player and he was so mentally tough. And we knew he didn't get 50 goals, but we knew every goal he got was a big goal. And so we just had a makeup of a group of guys that were so important to the success of the team. Dave Hunter and Craig McTavish killing penalties at key times. And that's what makes a team. And that's what you look back over the years and you go, wow, it was so much fun to be part of a group that was not only so good, but so unselfish. And we pulled for each other and we pushed each other. And that made it a lot of fun. Wayne Pierre mentioned, uh, the, you know, the the... Uh, plethora of uh, classic games that are on screens all over the place now. Have you found yourself like? Do you have you come by a screen and said, "Oh, okay." I, I and whether it's a game you played in or not, mm -hmm. have you found yourself stopping and and being taken in by a game that that may have happened ten or twenty or thirty years ago? Have you had that experience since the the pause in the season? Oh yeah, I uh, we we have. Two different TVs going. We have my wife is watching Netflix in her room, and I, I'm watching classic hockey games. And the older, the better for me. I, I love watching from the '60s and the '70s, and watching Belleville and Orr and How. Uh, I enjoy that more than watching my games. And I, Bill Dewitt and his wife Ira are good friends of ours from St. Louis, who who own the St. Louis Cardinals baseball team. And I watch a lot of old baseball games and yesterday game seven of the 68 world series was on and i was texting bill and asking him questions about the game and the series and you know the organization so you know as a sports fan yeah it's been fun but i don't want to lie i really like to see real sports and you know i, I like to see the guys today the kids that are playing and how great they are uh, I, I was I was tell, telling a cute story the other day to a friend. You know, I had two kids that were born after I, I retired, and my son was about six or seven years old, and we talked about hockey, and I said, hey, you want to go to a game? And he said, sure, let's go. And 
So I took him down to watch Steve Stamkos in Tampa Bay play. He was about six or seven. And Luke Robitaille was kind enough, and he got myself, my son, and a buddy. And I like sitting down by the ice when I go to games because I get a more of a sense of what's going on, a feel for the game. And, you know, it's kind of like the, where I like to sit to watch hockey. And uh, after the first period, my son turned to my friend because these guys are so fast and so big and it's so physical and they're such great athletes. He turned to my friend and said, okay, honestly, did my dad really play in this league? <laughs> so that, that's, where, that's where I'm at. So, no, you know what? It's fun watching old sports, whether it's golf, baseball, hockey, basketball. It, it, it's going to be way better when we get back to the real thing, the current day and watching these great athletes of today. Well, and, and before we let you go, I mean, I have to, there's just a couple more here, Wayne. And yep. you, you said something to me once, and, and I remember writing about it, but for people listening that are younger, that are catching up on these things, and there seems to be a lot of that going on right now, the, the 87 Canada Cup, you once said to me, that final was the greatest series you, you were ever a part of. Uh -huh. And I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I remember you saying that to me, and, and the Obviously, you know, the former Soviet Union won game one, the KLM line, and and you guys came back and won the next two. But I, I know I feel that way. It's it's still, to me, the, the hockey memory I cherish the most. But what do you agree with that? Is that Did you once say that to me or not? I can't remember. <laughs> no question from my point of view. And, and I'll tell you this. First of all, we'll never replace 72. My dad always said it best. The first time you do something, there's such lasting impressions. And so for those of us who remember 72, it's never going to go away. It was so phenomenal that they won the last three games to come back and win the series, to score late in game eight to win the series. And while we're talking about it, it's absolutely asinine to me that Paul Henderson's not in the Hockey Hall of Fame. I mean, the most incredible thing we've ever had for our country. Now, 25 years ago, maybe I understand, but today, you know, we're allowing Europeans who never played in the NHL and Russians who never played uh, who are in the Hall of Fame, and Paul Henderson should be in the Hall of Fame. But in saying that, the closest thing I came to it was in 87, and we lost game one in Montreal, 6-5, I believe, and we were flying out after the game from Montreal to Hamilton for the next two games. And uh, I remember getting on the team bus and Mike Keenan had allowed some of the guys who had mom and dads there to hop on the team plane if they were going to Toronto. And I remember on the bus ride to the airport, my dad told me that it was my fault we lost, that my shift was too long, and that's why they scored. And I remember thinking, well, the whole country's upset right now. I don't need you telling me how bad I was. Um, so... Game two was one of those games that was so remarkable because Mario was so good. Paul Coffey was just a machine that night. And, uh, you know, guys like Doug Gilmore and Rick Tockett and Dale Howarchek and, of course, Mark Messier were so good. And the guys were so determined. But we didn't have 20 guys that played as much as the Russian team. They were four lines and three sets of defense and... Fedosov was at his best, and the KLM LM line was so good. But we knew the one thing that we had over them, that our goalie was going to make the big save at the key time. And that's what happened in the series. Grant just, when it was 5-5, shut the door. Uh, and we'd seen it so many times. Uh, and then game three, being down 3 nothing, we were really tired. Messier, myself, Mario... We'd played so much hockey in game one and two that Mike kind of sat us down um, 12 minutes into the first or eight minutes into the first period, down three nothing. And I remember we sat there for a little bit, uh, maybe four or five minutes, which is a lot in Mike Keenan's uh, eyes. Uh, but Prop, Tockett, Gilmore, uh, those guys rose to the occasion got us back in the game, and all of a sudden it was 3-3. So I was very proud of that team. It was, it was a great team to be part of. It was such an emotional series. I remember thinking going to game two, gosh, wouldn't this have been really nice if we were playing in Maple Leaf Gardens? Because I love Maple Leaf Gardens. It was my favorite arena of all arenas. And to me, it was the 
the hockey church of the world, right? And so I remember thinking, gosh, I wish we were playing in the garden. And after the first shift of game two in Hamilton and Cops Coliseum, I remember thinking, wow, this is the loudest arena I've ever been in. And the emotion just picked up and picked up and got stronger and bigger. And the players, you could just feel it. The players started to rally around it. Uh, and it was just, it was really fun, physical, hard hockey. And I really believe, and this is, I've said this before, our goalie was better and Mike Keenan outcoached Tikhanov, and that was the difference in the series. Uh, I have one before we, yeah. we let you go, and it's yeah. it's sort of a I'm, it's it's a, I'm, it's a segue. We're going to talk. You mentioned the great Russian teams and players. You've always been so uh, open and gracious when people have talked about whether Alex Ovech can can catch your goal record and, mm -hmm. and you know what that would be like and how it's good for the game. I was curious about what happened when you got because you you passed Gordy Howe both in terms of goals and points during your career and and I was curious what it was like for you when you reached those milestones whether it was nervous for you uh, whether it was because I everyone knew how you revered Gordy mm -hmm. and I wondered what that process was like for you because I suspect it'll be very similar when at, when and if Alex gets close to your record mm -hmm. what, what was that like for you to to pass a guy like Gordy Howe well, that's a great question because it was a lot tougher than I think people really realized. Uh, I'd met Gordy when I was 10, as people probably know. Uh, <clears throat> developed a friendship over the years, and really, it really got jump-started when I was 15. Uh, I was playing junior B hockey in Toronto. Uh, Murray, his youngest son, was on our team, and him and I became really good friends. He was uh, boarding and living with uh, Gus Bedali, uh, who was my agent at the time, and he was very close friends with the Howe family, and Gordy and Colleen trusted uh, Gus and his wife to, to board his son. So Murray and I became good friends, and I used to sit around on the bus and practice and ask him a million questions about his dad, and he was always so gracious to talk to me and tell me stories. and. It wasn't a year later, I was playing, the two years later, playing the WHA. I was picked to play in the All-Star Series against the Soviets. And I remember thinking, wow, okay, I'm so excited to be part of it. I'm probably not going to play much, but that's okay. I was really excited that I got picked. In the first morning skate, I walked through in the locker room and the trainer said, the coach wants to say, see you for a second. And I, I honestly thought Jacques Demers, who was the coach, he was going to say, you know what, son, you're 17, you're not going to play tonight. And I, I was fine with that. And he says to me, son, you're going to center the old man and his son. And I remember thinking, oh, my <laughs> Lord. I was just like, just taken aback. And I remember thinking, wow, how, how great is this? I get to play between Gordy and Mark Howe. And, and for people who don't remember Mark Howe a whole lot, who is a Hall of Famer, he is the only guy to ever win the scoring race in the league professionally. And the next year, they moved him to defense, and he won the best defenseman in the league. That's how good Mark Howe was. So Mark and I and Gordy played. He said to me, win the faceoff. Mark's going to dump it at my corner. You just get in front of the net. And I think nine seconds into the game, I scored a goal. And Gordy said, great play. And I remember I, I didn't do anything. <laughs> I just took the faceoff. <laughs> Um, so, as you know, I was so lucky I got to be there when I think they would still be giving him a standing ovation to this day had the PA announcer not jumped in there in 1980 and Joe Lewis. And I remember thinking, wow, am I the luckiest guy ever? And so, as time went on and I was closing in on his record, I actually had one day at lunch with my dad. And I remember saying, you know, in some ways I'm so embarrassed uh, then I'm going to break Gordy's record. It's a different game, 21-team league. It's a little more wide open. You know, it's it's a different game. And my dad grabbed me and he said, you know what, I'm going to tell you something right now. Records are made to be broken. One day somebody's going to come along and break your records. He said, you should be as proud of them as Gordy Howe is of you. And that's how you look at something like that. And I always remembered that. So... 
When I did break Gordy's house record, I, I felt a real uh, sense of relief. Gordy and I always were very close right to the very end and um, just a wonderful family. And, you know, and I've said it a thousand times, I'm, the, I'm rooting for Alex Ovechkin as much as anybody else. I, I think it's great for the game. Nobody can ever take away what I accomplished and did in my career, and I'm very proud of it. But if it's he's got a chance to break the record, I hope I'm the first guy there to be able to shake his hand. It's just good for the sport. And we always need good things for our sport. And Alex has been, Alex and Sydney, they've just been so professional and so good for our game, for their cities, for their teams, for their countries. And as proud as Sydney is of Canada and Canada hockey, Alex is proud of Russia and Russia hockey. So I think it'd be wonderful. So if he breaks it, I hope I'm there. I hope I'm the first guy to be able to shake his hand. Well, I'll tell you what, you're just talking about Gordie Howe that way, Wayne. It reminds me uh, five years ago when Mr. Howe was still with us and Scotty and I, we went out to Saskatoon to, to cover uh, as, they, as they honored Gordie Howe. And uh, you were there and, and the, the you know, members of the Hall family and, of course, the Howe family and, and Kelly Chase was doing a lot of organizing. And that was an unbelievable couple of days in Saskatoon to see the love and respect for, for Gordy Howe. And, and, of course, it was touch and go that, of course, that Gordy could make it, as we all remember. And, and he did make it for that event. And I, that ranks up there for me and all the things I've ever witnessed. It's just amazing. <laughs> well, I'll tell you a quick story about that. Um... At the age of 10, when I first met Gordy in Brantford, there was a, I believe it was a Lions Club or Kinsman Club dinner. One of the organizers had said, you know, it'd be cool to have Wayne Gretzky in, in the head table. I was a 10-year-old, and that was the year I scored all the goals, and I was from Brantford. So they put me at the head table. Sandy Hawley was there, Angelo uh, Moscow, and uh, Gordy Howe. And so I got to meet Gordy, and... They told me I wasn't going to have to speak. And I, like every other kid, couldn't even stand up in a classroom and speak and give a speech at that age, you know. And the MC wasn't told that I was uh, uh, not speaking. And he announced my name. And I remember I looked at Gordy Howe and I remember thinking, oh my God. And he said, just get up there and tell him you're lost without a pair of skates and your hockey stick. So <laughs> I thought, okay, this, is, this would be a great line. I get up there and I said, thank you. I started bawling. And I got a standing ovation, and I said to Gordy, I said, that was really easy. <laughs> um, so uh, 700 people were standing ovation over a thank you. But So years later, I got invited to do a dinner in Saskatoon. And this is a great story mm -hmm. because I called Mark and Marty and Murray, and I said, listen, I'm doing this dinner in Saskatoon. I'd love to surprise everybody there. Nobody knows. I'll fly Gordy in. We'll take care of you guys. And we'll surprise everybody and Gordy and I. So from the first time that we met and spoke in my hometown, maybe the last time we're together speaking will be in his hometown. So I surprised everybody. And it was a really fun story because Prime Minister Harper was in town at that time. And the RCMP called me and said, Mr. Harper would love to come to this event tonight and interview you and... I said, yeah, great, no problem. Um, and they go, you know, the only thing is, Prime Minister doesn't like any surprises, you know, we gotta be prepared for everything. Do you, do you have any? I said, no, no, he can ask me anything he wants. We talk hockey, it'd be great. It'd be, people will love it. So I called Kelly Chase and I said, Kelly, now listen, uh, I just wanna inform you, you're the MC of this. Uh, you're not gonna interview me tonight. Uh, the Prime Minister is here. He's going to MC me. He's going to interview me. And Kelly, I remember Kelly saying, oh, my God, geez, oh, all right. And I go, oh, by the way, Kelly, nobody knows this, too. I got Gordy Howe coming in. <laughs> Kelly, Kelly said, oh, my God, what do we, what? nobody's going to be ready for this. So then I start thinking around 5 o'clock, I'm like, geez, that guy from the RCMP, he doesn't like surprises. And then I thought, you know what? Every now and then, even the prime minister has to smile. So I never told the prime minister, never told anybody. And when I got up on stage and the prime minister was there, I said, okay, Mr. Prime Minister, I got one thing to tell you. I said, uh, I got the greatest hockey player ever lived and the nicest man you're ever going to meet is here. And I brought Gordy Howe out and he got such an ovation and it was so nice. And I remember thinking, this is so nice, not only for the people of Saskatoon, 
But Gordy really, for the first time in my life, where I sat there and I, I looked at him and I could see in his eyes that he said, you know what, I'm so happy I'm here tonight. So for me, it was one of the greatest things that I was ever part of. And of course, the prime minister was actually pretty excited once Gordy sat down. It was a pretty, pretty wonderful night for the people of Saskatchewan. <laughs> That's perfect. And you know what? That's the perfect way to uh, to allow you to get back to your day. But that's a great story. And I'm with Pierre. That uh, uh, that weekend in 2015 is uh, it'll never be forgotten on my part. And uh, it's uh, it's been so much fun hanging out. And, and I can't speak for Pierre. Wayne, but I think we could probably fit you in. If you want to come back on the podcast, <laughs> okay. I'm pretty yeah. sure we can make room. All right, little, give us a little notice, but I, I think we could do it. But it's I, it's I, been I, so I much was, fun. We'll, we'll, we'll wait for uh, next time you're on in uh, next year or whatever. But uh, yeah. I, I had Salt Lake rant on my thing because I was sitting in the front row for that rant. Yeah. But we'll talk about that another day. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, we could talk about a lot of things. Okay, listen. Thank you guys so much. And honestly... Um, I hope two months from now we're back watching real hockey. If we're not and we need to fill time, don't hesitate to call me. I can talk curling, baseball, <laughs> soccer, football. doesn't have to be just hockey. <laughs> we know All right, that, that sounds That's great. Awesome. All right, guys. Thank Wayne. you, Have Wayne. a great day. Yeah. Thanks. All right, so, Pierre, seriously, let's call Wayne next week. Uh, why not? I, I, yeah. I, I, don't think, I don't think we get tired of it. Um, but I do want to, sir, I want to get your impressions of, uh, our conversation with Wayne, obviously, and maybe some other Wayne related stuff, but, uh, we are going to go to a break and I'm sure you won't lose your train of thought because we'll be back in just a moment. If you were to guess on average, how many days people in the U S have to wait to see a doctor, what would you say? A week, maybe actually on average, people have to wait around 29 days to see a doctor in major U S cities, basically a month. If you're dealing with a condition like erectile dysfunction, you want treatment ASAP. That's why our friends at Roman have spent years building a digital platform that can connect you with a doctor licensed in your state, all from the comfort of home. Roman makes it convenient to get the treatment you need on your schedule. Just grab your phone or computer, complete a free online visit, and you'll hear back from a U.S. licensed physician within 24 hours. And if the doctor decides that treatment is right for you, Roman's Pharmacy can ship your medication to you with free two-day shipping. You also get free unlimited follow-ups with your doctor anytime you have questions or want to adjust your treatment plan. With Roman, there are no commitments and you can cancel anytime. So, if you're struggling with ED, go to GetRoman.com Advantage for a free online visit and free two-day shipping. That's GetRoman.com Advantage for a free online visit and free two-day shipping. Uh, Pierre, you spent a lot of time around Wayne over the years. In fact, now let me ask you the first time that you met him. Was it a commercial? I'm trying to. I was thinking about this before we started taping day. Do you remember the first time you met Wayne? Or what? Yeah. You know, well, you... I mean, listen. I had obviously, I mean, meet quote unquote. I mean, I'd been in a lot of ton of scrums. I started covering the NHL in '95, which was near the end of his playing career, and and so would have been in whatever scrums he would have been in you know, as a player, but in terms of a one-on-one, -on -one, it was right after he retired, um, he was filming a commercial, and I forget for which company, you know, it doesn't matter. I got to spend the whole day with him. I think it might've been Esso. Anyway, I, I got to spend the whole day with him, you know, as he, uh, as he was in and out of shots and we were just talking about his career. It was just amazing. And the, the thing, again, like you saw today with Wayne, we could have gone for three hours if, if he wasn't so bored with us, but yeah, <laughs> It's not every great player of any sport that cares to revisit and talk about the game the way he does. Um, he he really he watches a ton of hockey. He stays connected. He knows all the numbers. I mean, I, I remember being at dinner with him once, and he crushed me in trivia. I mean, you know me. I, I I take pride in it, and he just he knows he remembers all these things, all these moments, and. You know, there's a Sidney Crosby has a lot of that in him in terms of the self awareness of what's going on on other teams. Yep. I, I mean, and and Wayne Gretzky's always been that way. Always been someone that you know had such a, a keen awareness of what was going on around the league and and you know 
loved all the trade rumors and, and what teams were up to. And, you know, he just wanted to talk about the game all the time. And, and I just never get tired of it because it's so infectious to, you know, imagine being the greatest player ever in your sport, but then turning around and just wanting to talk about it like anyone else. And uh, I, I just think it's, uh, you know, it's always a joy to hear him talk about the game. Yeah, well, and you're right, and it's and there is a selflessness about it, right? Like it's, you know, the story. Unlike me, when I tell the story, it's usually about me. Um, but you know, this as Wayne was saying, he's happy to watch old games. It doesn't have to be his games. Uh, and when he talks about people he played with or against, it, there's always a a great amount of reverence about it. And uh, you brought up that uh, weekend in Saskatoon in 2015. In fact, I went back and I looked at some of the copy and you know Gordy Howe walking onto the stage by himself mm. but um you just knew you just knew how much it meant to Wayne to 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 help facilitate that and you know late that night I just sort of snuck so I feel like I snuck in the back door to this conversation but and I'm sure you remember my, there was some pizza and maybe a beer uh but Kelly Chase and Brett Hall and Wayne you and I and, and maybe there were others but Again, just that casual, just the the joy at talking about the game, right? What was going on? Different, you know, like it was just, yeah, it, it's it, just easy. It's it, easy. It, it might be for me the most amazing moment. It's because it's not an obvious one for people. People always ask you about Olympic gold medal games and Stanley Cup finals, and of course those are all up there. But that moment with the city of Saskatoon celebrating Gordie Howe and being at a table each night. And listening to to Wayne and Brett Hall and Kelly Chase tell hockey stories, I hope. I mean, you were there. I hope I, I hope I just listen and then interrupt. But you know me; it's hard for me. But <laughs> no, just, I think you were very. No, there was no. It was, yeah. it was, it was picture perfect. It was it good. Was, that was uh, great. It, it was amazing. And uh, you know, I, I'm I'm mad at myself now. Another question I we didn't get to with Wayne, but uh, of course it's Masters week, and then son-in-law being Dustin Johnson and usually a big week in their extended family so um we'll have to talk about that another time but uh yeah it uh you know we'll, we'll uh i mean he's you know wayne's like the rest of us you know will there be a season and of course he's a governor on the edmonton oilers and uh um you know it's such a interesting time in the season like i i think it's okay to admit it like i think a lot of people didn't know if the oilers would fade or not this year right i mean yeah they had the great start, but then they kept hanging in, hanging in, and at the pause, they were actually surging a bit. So there's just so many good storylines that we could get back to. But I thought the point that Wayne made that was fascinating about that is that some teams are going to come back better after all this time off, and others worse. And who's to say who's going to be what? Well, it's hard to predict I, that I, part. And, and yeah. I think what he's saying is it's going to come down to each individual player in the NHL to decide how they want to take care of their body in the means that they have while self-isolating, right? Yeah. And, and well, which team will show the most maturity in terms of being ready if there isn't, in fact, a season resumption. And as you know, Scotty, I'm not convinced of that, but hopefully yeah. I'm wrong. Well, and I wonder, and I, I I meant to ask Wayne this, but didn't, I should have followed up more more promptly, but I'll ask you, because you're like Wayne Gretzky to me, so but do you, <laughs> do you, don't, don't you think, given that, that maybe this is really going to, yes, the individual players and how they come back in their mindset, but isn't this really going to be, if we do get to see a playoff, really going to be a test of, of where the coaching chops are at? Like, how quickly can you, mm-hmm. if you're Dave Tippett in Edmonton, Todd Reardon in Washington, and John Cooper in Taylor, all you, this is going to be the one of the, you know this is going to be one of the ultimate coaching challenges right how do you come back after again eight weeks ten weeks whatever it is if we get back to it how can you get your team ready to go and especially if right. you can't find a way to do regular season games which I, you know again that's also way up in the air that's going to be the challenge for a coach how can you get your team from zero to 80 miles an hour in mm-hmm. a very short period of time. And I, I I, think that's going to be, again, one of the great fascinating storylines if we do have playoff hockey. Because mm-hmm. to me, that's going to separate some of the, the you know, the coaching acumen. Do you agree? Or? Yeah, I, I think coaching will be huge, uh, just as you just pointed out. I think 
the the debate that's going to be interesting again if there is a resumption or not with with this long layoff will it be better to have a veteran team because of the maturity level of the core in other words you know we didn't screw around during this long pause we took care of ourselves we kept focused so that's usually what you get from a veteran core on the other hand will the more veteran player be more behind the eight ball physically after a long layoff than younger legs you know, will a younger team get out of the gates faster after a long resumption just because of, of, of their, you know, their their young legs and their physicality and, and the fact that, it, you know, I won't affect their bodies as much as an older player. I think that's an interesting thing as well to debate. Yeah. See, um, listen. I, I always say this to you. I think we talked about this on a couple of podcasts ago, but my only reference point as an, uh, to compare is after the 0405 lockout canceled the entire season. Um, it f- feels like half the NHL showed up in Austria for the World Hockey Championships, if you remember. Right. Yep. And I was there. And again, I'm never going to name names, but you could tell who which guys were skating all year and the guys that were just pick- picking it up when they arrived at the Worlds. <laughs> well, <laughs> you know, and, and so again, I mean, that's, I think that's going to be telling. Well, and it's, I mean, I would go back to the lockout in 2012 and of course the 48 game schedule in in 13 and you and i've talked about this and i and i think this will i i believe this would be the same even if we play the playoffs in july and august which looks like to be the most logical window uh, if there is a window at all but it wasn't it Chicago that came back and didn't they have points in like 23 straight like the Blackhawks and that was a team that had you know lost to LA in the Western Conference Final that was a battle-hardened team and they had a bit of a chip on their shoulder and they just came and they steamrolled mm-hmm. out you know starting in January whenever it was middle of January when that 48 game set started mm-hmm. and you're right look it'll, it'll be interesting you know when I think of a team like both St. Louis and Boston, I, I have to believe, to your point, two teams know exactly what needs to be done. Veteran, right. mature. To me, those are the kinds of teams that I would expect to be able to adjust to whatever the circumstances are, given their experience. But who knows? But it, it is interesting. And you're right. There, there will be teams that can't find it, right? Can't find a gear, come out yeah. flat. And... and and, they'll, and, and, they'll and then there's a whole, and then there's a whole other type of team that, <laughs> and this is where the integrity of whatever they come up with is going to be tested because, you know, they, they're, they're looking at a million different things, as you know, Scotty. I mean, what what Commissioner Bettman would like to do is, if at all possible, is actually finish as much of the regular season off as possible, and then right. have the yeah. natural sixteen teams, right? But yeah. if they can't do that. You know, do they start with an expanded playoff? You know, is it 20, 22, 24? Of course, if you go to 24, then you suddenly bring in the 23rd and 24th team, which basically on one side is Montreal and the other side is Chicago, right? <laughs> which, yep. number one, there might be financial incentive to do that. But what if those teams who really have, let's be honest, no right of being in, correct? Right? Yep. What if you're Montreal and you basically have been acting like for the last month of the season like you were eliminated and now you just go to carry price and someone tells you oh by the way you're in this round of 24 could you imagine just for the heck of it carry price saying all right boys jump on my back i mean why not it's the nhl of course yeah no (laughs) but my point would be i think that would be i think that wouldn't sit well with a lot of people when it comes to what felt like the integrity of 85 percent of the season being played you know what i mean yeah, no, and I mean those are the great, those are the great debates. And you're right. If you go to 24, and you know, just for argument's sake, you know, the top four teams get a bye, and then do you play three out of five or two out of three to start with, with teams, you know, five through 12? And you're right. If it, especially if you start, and I can only imagine you would have to start with a shortened series of some kind, just for scheduling and timing purposes. You're right. The potential for a Corey Crawford in Chicago or a Carey Price in Montreal um, to affect the monumental upset. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I don't think there's any doubt. And yeah, I mean, I, I don't worry too too much about the asterisks, asterisks at this stage. If, if it comes to that, 
I think we can live with it. But that's uh, see, I feel like I've already got you on board. Right? We're talking playoff scenarios. I, uh, I, I see. Again, I, I'm not I, against the season. No, I know you resuming. are. Resuming. I just, I just, you know, I'm watching the news every night, and I just feel like there's just such a long road to go and battling this uh, this disease. Yeah. But anyway, no um, question. All right. That's a conversation for another day, but um, it, it was nice to talk hockey today for that reason, by the way, to have yes. a distraction away from, from what have been long days for so many people. And and again, there isn't a minute that doesn't go by, Scotty, that I don't think of you know the frontline health workers risking their lives for us. Man, oh man. I no, mean, you know what? If, if it, all are, it is, as, as Wayne yep. said, watch TV all day. It's not uh, It's not a big hardship for us, is it? No, and that's a good way to, uh, and, you know, for us to be closing out these podcasts during this uh, this period of time is to always acknowledge those people. And you're right, uh, hospital workers and police and uh, first responders and the grocery store clerks and the people who dropped off bags of Publix groceries on my front door today. I mean, mm-hmm. it's it is it cuts a wide swath, and there are a lot of people out there who deserve our credit. So, um, before we go, though. Uh, there are, you know, the athletic. We continue to, we continue, we churn it out, my friend. Every day you're writing something. I, I try and keep up a little bit, but uh, lots of content out there. And this week, Ryan Getzlaff, the ching, king of the chicken coop, as it turns out, also the captain of the. You Anaheim. almost called him a chicken, but then you realize no, chicken cap, coop. he's yeah. the king of the chicken coop from his famous video sessions. Uh, captain of the Anaheim Ducks, obviously, joins Shane O'Brien and Josh Cooper on Point Breakaway at theathletic.com, so you should check that out. And don't forget to please rate and subscribe to Two Man Advantage on Apple. If you click on the show's URL, theathletic.com slash twomanadvantage, you'll get 40% off your subscription to The Athletic. And uh, obviously, thanks again to Wayne Gretzky for spending some time with us today. And you, my friend, mid-season form, mid-season form by you. I'm very proud of you. Right on, right on. That was a good one.